Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Alrighty, guys, we are going to look at the birth of Jesus through uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. Feel free to stand up, grab one of those. That's our gift to you. I'm going to have the, the words on the screen for us here. Starting in verse 1, Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in, in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was out of the house in the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah. He's the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel. And they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to the people that he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all of these things in her heart. She was meditating on them. Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Dear friends, this is the true Christmas story from the inerrant, inspired, and infallible Word of God. Amen and amen. amen. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 1, guys. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. So the first thing that we, that we learn here is a little bit of world history. In those days, 
gives us a time frame. In Luke chapter 1, we know that King Herod was the king of Judea, but he would soon die after Jesus was born. However, this order, this decree didn't come from Herod. It came from someone with much greater, greater authority, and that was Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus, that's not his name, that's his title. Caesar means emperor. Uh, Augustus means revered or honored. It means esteemed. It even means majestic one. So in other words, Caesar Augustus was viewed as a deity. Caesar was considered one of the many Roman gods. His birth name, however, is Gaius Octavius. Gaius is the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. Gaius was Julius's favorite nephew. Julius even adopted Gaius as his son, made him his personal heir to the entire Roman Empire. Now, after Julius uh, died, Gaius, he really had to navigate some political drama with uh, Mark Antony, Cicero, but he did, he indeed became Caesar Augustus, and his rise to the throne marked really the beginning of the, the Roman Empire. Gaius was an amazing leader. He restored unity. He, he created a government structure after a long period of civil war. Gaius ushered in an era of, of peace and prosperity throughout the empire that lasted for two centuries. He is arguably the most significant person in Roman history. The irony to all of this, though, is that he ushered in peace through fear, intimidation, and violence. So in other words, his title, Caesar Augustus, reflects his, really, the, the great respect that he commanded from his people. Caesar had absolute power with an unchallenged army to prove it. Uh, that is, until we get to verse 13. Moving on to verse 2, though. So the first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So here we, we got further evidence of, an, of another political leader who was the governor of Syria. He was the one that was in charge of administering this census. Now, we got a note here that our gospel writer Luke, he doesn't start this Christmas story about the birth of Jesus Christ with once upon a time. He, he, he gives us political leaders. He, he sets up the time frame, doesn't he? So Luke records the players of world history as proof of this narrative. So verse 3, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. So in other words, everybody did as they were told. Uh, verses 1 through 3, really, they introduce us to the most powerful men, and spe specifically the man in the entire world, and that is Caesar Augustus. Notice here that Caesar has an earthly kingdom. And as we approach verse 4 here, we're going to see the hint of another kingdom, a divine kingdom, because there are over 300 prophecies that refer to Jesus in the Old Testament. And here's the thing. To fulfill the prophecy that a Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem, God in his supernatural providence, move the heart of the most powerful man in the world to achieve his own decree. Proverbs 21.1, I love this. A king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. 
So in other words, a king's decisions are like putty in God's hands. Caesar Augustus, he had no understanding of God. He didn't understand the purpose of God. Caesar was simply being Caesar, right? He's, he's ruling from a human standpoint. He is utterly ignorant of God's word and God's ways. He certainly could care less about the prophecies regarding a Jewish savior. He doesn't care about that. But from Caesar's perspective, this consensus, this counting of the population, man, this is a great idea. Why? Well, because once he has the final count of all the people in his kingdom, well, he can either tax them or tax them more, or he can draft them into the military. But once again, Caesar doesn't realize that long before he gave his orders, God had been supernaturally working in the background and gave some decrees of his own. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in, in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David. That's King David. So now we meet a new character in our Christmas story, Joseph. Joe is the very opposite of Caesar Augustus. Joe is a, a poor Jewish handyman who was born in Bethlehem, and he now works in a no-name town called Nazareth. Verse 5, he went there along to be registered with Mary, who, look at this now, was engaged to him and was pregnant. Verse 5 is scandalous. It is disgraceful to, especially to the Jews. Mary was engaged and pregnant. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It, it looks like Mary's daddy's not too happy, right? These guys are running from a shotgun wedding. That's what it looks like. And I love our gospel writer Luke here because he loves to focus on the human side of things. Luke points out that Joseph and Mary have, have not yet consummated their marriage. He goes out of his way to show that to us here. In the first century, especially in the Jewish culture, there, there's only one item that separates the engagement or the betrothal process and marriage, and that is sexual relations. So why would Luke purposely point that out here? Well, Luke's given us a theology lesson. And I know it's really difficult to, to wrap our minds around this, that God, we've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who impregnated Mary. If we back up nine months in our Christmas story, we, we read this, chapter 1, verse 28. The angel came to her, that's Mary, and he said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But Mary was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be, right? So the angel starts to see that Mary's starting to freak out a little bit. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, it's okay, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you're going to conceive, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Mary asked the angel, well, wait a second, time out. How can this be? I've never had sexual relations with a man. And the angel said, no problem, Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High 
will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 37, for, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary responds in verse 38, she says, well, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left. So all that to say this, it was only after Mary gave birth to Jesus that the marriage of Joseph and Mary was humanly consummated. So back to uh, our gospel, Luke, verse 6 here. While they were there, so while Joseph and Mary were there, the time came for her to give birth. Notice how Luke describes the most significant event in human history up to this point. Luke explains the birth of God in one sentence. It's so simple, it's startling. It's so sparse, it's easy for us to miss the miracle. And it's not just a miracle, it's a miracle of all miracles, right? That just happened. We got a little bit more detail in verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and then she wrapped him tightly in cloth. She laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So unlike all of our Christmas cards, no angels were mentioned here in the Christmas story. Now, angels do arrive on the scene, that's in the next verse, but that's at a completely different location to a very interesting group of people. Notice, however, here, we've got no heavenly trumpets sounded. We've got no voice from heaven announcing the birth of the Son of God. There's no parade. There's no publicity. There's no fanfare. It's just Joseph and Mary together. Right? They're they're completely alone. They're away from, from family and friends. And here's the irony. Mary just gave birth to the Savior of the world, which means that the kingdom of God is now on earth. Caesar Augustus, King Herod, even Quirinius, right? They're living in their palaces within these earthly kingdoms, but not Jesus. And Jesus is the king of kings. He was just born in a cave. Smelly. Filthy, cold, got farm animals roaming throughout, right? Imagine the noise. Imagine the stank. It's gross. Verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. I love the honesty of the Bible. Once again, news of the Savior didn't, it didn't go to kings. It didn't go to politicians. But rather, it went to the shadiest characters in all of Israel. Shepherds. Shepherds were uneducated. They were unskilled. These guys were viewed as the most dishonest people on the face of the planet. They were unreliable. Shepherds were so untrustworthy They wouldn't even be allowed to testify in court. Shepherds were also considered unclean socially, ceremonially, 
because sheep obviously required to be tended to seven days a week, so they were in continual violation of religious laws. Verse 9 provides some details here. An angel of the Lord stood before them, so that's the, the shepherd, shepherds, and the glory of the Lord, it shone around them, and they were terrified. I want you to picture a quiet, serene night out in the middle of the Verde Valley Desert. You're camping in a tent. It's so dark, it's so still. I mean, it truly is a silent night. And then, bam, right? Suddenly, an angel shows up and he says, what's up, fellas? Can you imagine? The glory of the Lord shown around them. I want you to think of this blinding light around the angel. In other places in scripture, it's called the Shekinah glory of God. It's this supernatural light that comes with terror. The text says they were terrified. Phobos in the Greek. These shepherds, what they did, I mean, if someone shines a bright light in your face, what are you going to do? Right? You're going to do this. Not only that, not only are they doing this, but they're, they're, they're so completely overwhelmed at this supernatural moment, probably driven to their knees, even though all they want to do is run. Fear and dread is the typical response 99% of the time when an angel shows up in Scripture. And the reason people are so fearful is the presence of an angel makes them painfully aware of their own sinfulness. And even though these shepherds now realize the judgment that, should fall un that they should fall under, look at verse 10. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. And it's going to be for all the people. When angels reveal themselves to people, they often start with that same message. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Don't be afraid. The shepherds didn't need to fear because the angel had great news. What's the news? Verse 11. He goes on to say, today... In the city of David, a Savior was born for you. He's the Messiah and he's the Lord. Look how personal this good news is. The angels say a Savior was born for you. Dear friends, that's just not good news. That's the best news you will ever hear. The angel he uses two titles for Jesus. He says Messiah and Lord. Messiah means the anointed one in Hebrew. In Greek, it's translated Christ. The second title, Lord, in the human sense, it's a term of respect. It's given to someone in a position of, of leadership and authority. But to say that this child is Lord and Christ is to say that he is God. His first name, Jesus, means God saves. So when you put Jesus and Christ together, you get this translation. God saves by his anointed one. Jesus, God saves, Christ, the anointed one. 
Jesus Christ. God saves by his anointed one. And as a side note, this is the, this is the reason that so many people take the Lord's name in vain. Because the name that you take in vain is the only name that can save. All that to say this, Jesus is not merely a Jewish sage. He's not simply a teacher of morality and, and ethics. Jesus doesn't fall into the same camp as Buddha and Gandhi. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. The Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So for that reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So back to our Christmas narrative here. The angel says, all right, guys, listen up. Verse 12, this is going to be the sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. So the angel provides proof. What he says is true. Signs are vital in the Bible. Signs point people in the right direction. And in verse 13, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying. So that word suddenly, quickly, abruptly, without warning, countless more angels join that one particular angel. We know that because it says the multitude of heavenly host. So in other words, Caesar Augustus is not the only one with an army. At this moment, millions upon millions of angels appeared before these shepherds. The appearance of so many angels here in our Christmas narrative at one time is unrivaled in Scripture. So what do all these millions upon millions of angels do? They sing. They worship. The angels sing a chorus straight from heaven. Verse 14, they sing glory to God in the highest heaven. And notice this, and peace on earth to people that he favors. The angels praise God and they pronounce peace over God's people. God's kingdom is about peace while Caesar's kingdom, man's kingdom, is about fear. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go straight there. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see what happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So in other words, the shepherds were asking one another, what are we doing just standing around? Right? We got to go. Let's get moving. So notice here, first, the shepherds believed. They believed the angels. And second, their belief led them to take action. 
Verse 16, so what did they do? They, they hurried off. They found both Mary and Joseph, the baby who was lying in the manger. So the shepherds are running. They, they run into town. And then they, in the process of all this, they did something unthinkable. They left their sheep behind. They left their livelihood behind. And they found the scene precisely as it was foretold. They found the Savior of the world. Jesus the Christ, lying in a feeding trough. Verse 17, after seeing them, they, the shepherds, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So in other words, the shepherds, they just couldn't shut up. They were just, they were telling everybody what just happened. They told anybody and everybody as they're running past them what's going on. Verse 19, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and she was meditating on them. Don't you love that that Luke includes the most precious moment between a, a mother and a son? He does that a few more times throughout his gospel. In verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they they had seen, all the things that they had heard, uh, which were just, they were exactly as the angels told them. So dear friends, you know, this Jesus that we're celebrating tonight, that we're worshiping tonight, is often presented as someone who can save a marriage, find you a job, even break you from the bondage of addiction. And yeah, while all of those things are true, they certainly are, temporary relief from worldly brokenness was never Jesus' mission. Jesus wasn't born to work within the parameters of Caesar Augustus or any man-made kingdom. When Jesus was born, he established a divine kingdom on earth. One that you can't see and, and yet you know is eternal. See, Jesus' primary mission is not to make life easy or comfortable. Jesus' primary mission is to save you from yourself. It's to save you from your sin and it's to prepare you for eternal life. And by doing so, Jesus is preparing you for the kingdom of God here on earth. And that's why he's called our Savior. Jesus didn't step down off his throne in heaven to become his own creation to make you healthy and wealthy. Contrary to popular belief, this is not your best life now. Not if you're a believer. And contrary to popular belief, there are still two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world, which is the temporary one that we live in. The kingdom of God, which is the reality of what we can't see. If we choose to live in this world and trust in this world, we're going to continue to live in a state of fear. And yet, if we choose to live in the kingdom of God, our lives will reveal a supernatural peace for all the world to see. And here's the key, regardless of our circumstances. Got a new year coming up. For those of you visiting, I'd like to invite you back next Sunday. 
so that you can experience God verse by verse like this, experience the peace that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds. For those of you who are part of the church family, I'd like to encourage you to keep sharing Jesus day by day, just as the shepherds did. Merry Christmas, guys. Father in heaven, thank you, thank you, thank you for this gospel uh, Christmas story. Not only is this the good news, it is the greatest news ever, that you would choose to send your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, to be the son of God and to be the son of man. Many of us have many, many questions when it comes to how, how can God be a man? And how can God take care of my sin? And, and how can God be born of a virgin and, and live a perfect life? Those are great questions. And Father, I pray that the new year coming up, that you will reveal those, those answers to those questions. That no matter where we are, if we're far from God today, that you would draw us a little bit closer. Or maybe, maybe, Lord God, we've been walking with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years, and we still have so much to learn and so much to do and, and experience inside the kingdom of God right here in the Verde Valley. Thank you for choosing to love us. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate tonight. And thank you for forgiving us our, of our sin through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.